Hello, and welcome to Policy Pod by LDA. My name is Matt Goche, and I'll be your host. This podcast aims to break down common trends, problems, and concepts in the life insurance market. We wanted to create a place where we can talk about the things that confuse clients and advisors alike. This episode, we will be talking about corporate and personal estate transfers, and we are joined by Henry Korenblum, estate and taxation consultant at Wellington Altus Insurance, as well as Jonathan Jarvie, senior account executive here at LDA. Before we get to the interview, I would like to talk to you about your block of business. We hear from advisors all the time that the more carriers they offer on their shelf, the more cluttered their block becomes. With policy renewals, issue dates, clients across multiple carriers, it can be quite complicated to keep your block organized. However, we have a solution. With the life design analysis, you can import your entire block of business into LDA. It will automatically sort your clients, organize your enforced policies, and give you ongoing reminders about upcoming renewals, birthdays, and more. You can sort your enforced policy by urgency level to see what upcoming renewals are imminent, And our platform will even pre-generate insurance cases for term renewal and conversion opportunities. To learn more about how life design analysis can help with your in-force block of business, contact us today at info at lifedesignanalysis.com or go to our website and select the Ask Us a Question tab on the right-hand side. Let me introduce today's guests. Henry Korenblum is a trusted and highly experienced consultant to accomplished business owners and affluent families on matters associated with transition and wealth, helping guide families through the unique opportunities and challenges they may be facing in the areas of wealth, tax and estate planning, philanthropy, family governance, and business succession planning by taking time to thoroughly understand specific goals and objectives. When dealing with business owners, Henry helps to ensure that personal and business goals are aligned by examining the entire financial situation, including the interaction between family, business, and ownership structures, not just for today, but with a future transition in mind. In addition to being a chartered professional accountant, Henry is also a chartered investment manager, certified financial planner, a trust and estate practitioner, a master financial advisor, philanthropy, a family enterprise advisor, and a U.S. certified public accountant. One of the more veteran members, John Jarvie has been a part of the LDA team for six years and has extensive experience with all levels of the industry distribution chain, including independent advisors, wealth management firms, national banks, MGAs, and carriers. Before joining LDA, John had a unique blend of insurance and tech experience, receiving his LLQP licensing and working for both Canon and Microsoft. So welcome today, Henry and John. It's good to have you guys on. Today, we're going to be talking about corporate and personal estate transfers, which is a very big topic, but I'm excited to get into it with you. But before we begin, I'm just going to have you talk about who you are and introduce yourself a little bit, Henry, and what you do at Wellington Altus and a little bit of background. Thank you, Matt. And uh, John, thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. What I do is uh, I'm an estate and taxation consultant, so I help families, high net worth, ultra high net worth families, business owners with estate planning, insurance planning, succession planning, philanthropy. Uh, My background is as a CA, a charter accountant, uh, licensed in Canada and the U.S., um, as well as trust and estate practitioner, family family enterprise advisor. I try and pull together all my different planning 
skill sets uh, to help families identify through deep discovery where there may be gaps and or planning opportunities. And generally speaking, that will also involve insurance. So insurance planning, which is part of today's discussion, looking at insurance uh, as an asset class, as a tax efficient asset class in certain cases. So that's where I help families looking at insurance as a wealth accumulation tool and addressing some of those estate planning needs and um, serving in that regard. So when we're talking about personal estate transfers and using it as an asset class, can you kind of explain that concept of how someone would go about using personal estate transfer in relation to life insurance uh, and who you would target regarding this concept? Yeah, no, thank you, Matt. So in short, you know, as families, um, business owners, high net worth individuals accumulate wealth, they'll generally be in a position where they've maximized their registered accounts, their RSPs, TFSAs. They have what we would typically call never spend money, funds that are generally speaking in excess of their lifestyle funding requirements. So those types of candidates are, we're, we're looking at saying, okay, what is the purpose of this never spend money? How can we grow this wealth tax efficiently based on the client's specific legacy wishes? Is it that their bequest to charities, to their family, et cetera? Uh, in those cases, then we may identify insurance as a solution that could be very effective in allowing for that tax-efficient transfer of wealth from one generation to the next generation. So that, that's where, generally speaking, my practice is focused in terms of promoting that tax-efficient intergenerational wealth transfer uh, using life insurance as that wealth planning tool. So, Henry, one question I have for you is when you introduce insurance as an asset class through this estate transfer vehicle, what typical reception do you get from clients? Because most don't know life insurance provide this as an option. Yes. No, thank you, Jonathan. So. Um, you're correct. Most of the time, and this is what I get excited about uh, in terms of education and uh, having those aha moments with clients, but most Canadians, they view insurance more in the traditional sense as what I call a risk management tool. They're thinking term insurance. They're thinking, um, you know, providing liquidity. Uh, if there's a, a premature death of the breadwinner in the family, et cetera, or paying off a mortgage, and they're generally not aware of the fact that life insurance can be used in such a, as a tax um, tax effective way to grow and accumulate wealth. So, you know, I like to say to uh, clients, you know, there's four ways, four tax free buckets in Canada. You have your tax free savings account, your principal residence, lottery winnings are tax free in Canada, not in the States, uh, and life insurance. So, unless you're planning to win the lottery, you know, looking at ways to grow your wealth tax efficiently, not for everyone, once again, but for select clients, it may be. Uh, something to consider. And that's where then the clients will have those moments like, I've never considered this. I, I was unaware of this. And that's where it's taking the time to educate clients through proper discussion and showing them different scenarios where LDA can be very useful in that regard to show them, listen, here's your wealth, status quo, do nothing. You're, for example, investing in a traditional fixed, um, fixed income investment. It's going to attract income tax, likely at high rates, if it's in a corporation or if it's a top rate taxpayer. And how can we grow this wealth tax efficiently in a tax exempt environment or for, and or for in a corporate setting, take advantage of the capital dividend account and certain benefits for business owners of what's known as corporate owned life insurance. So um, it, it's a different understanding um, that clients may be unaware of, and that's rewarding to educate them and how they can grow their wealth tax efficiently. And LDA is a fantastic tool to illustrate that, um, you know, here's different life stages. Here's if you're continue on the status quo and take advantage of that status quo bias the, from a behavioral bias standpoint, show them like, here's if you're do, doing nothing here, you've expressed to me that 
you want to grow your wealth tax efficiently, here's what we can do as an alternative. What are the typical objections you hear from clients and advisors to go off that based on the recommendation of been using insurance to diversify their portfolio? Yes. Thank you, Matt. So that's another great question. So in general, um, and I've written about this in our, some of our blogs, but the idea is we see a very common one is I don't need insurance. Like if you're wealthy, you don't need insurance. So it's under, once again, it goes back to that idea is not necessarily, it's a different perspective of what is the purpose of the insurance. So um, it's, it's looking at it as an asset class and as a way to grow wealth tax efficiently. So it's a different need. It's, there's a need to grow wealth on a tax efficient basis, but helping educate the clients that you know the objection might be, I don't need insurance, I'm self-insured, et cetera. Then you're illustrating to them with something like an LDA, for example, how they can um, you know, grow their wealth on a more tax-effective basis by growing it in a tax-exempt environment um, and enhancing their after-tax estate values, creating cash values that provides you with flexibility. If they ever want to be able to access those assets, that asset class during their lifetime, like for example, the insured retirement plan, the IRP or corporate insured retirement plan type strategy. So it provides clients for select clients um, uh, just greater flexibility and generally aligns with those types of clients' uh, uh, legacy wishes and estate planning goals overall. You talked earlier about finding the right clients and the, the people that have specific features. So what, uh, what are those typical categoristics that you look for when you're talking to clients? When a client comes to you and this, you, what are the flags maybe that kind of trigger you to say that this is the opportunity that we want to start talking about? No, thank you. That's a great question. So, um, you know, this is where there's different needs. And depending on your client profile, you want to make sure that you're um, presenting something that's appropriate and suitable, of course. So uh, if someone, I, I would say initially, you want to be addressing low-hanging fruit, what I call, in terms of like maximizing TFSAs, RSPs, that should be, like generally speaking, um, the first things to look after. But if they've already taken advantage of those types of strategies, um, they're maximizing their registered accounts, they want to grow their wealth on a more tax-efficient basis, they have, as I called earlier, or described it earlier, never spend money, then you know, if, and they're, if they're a corporate business owner, for example, they're building up re retained earnings in their corporation, their substantial retained earnings, also known as what we call sometimes trap surplus, uh, helping the clients understand that this might be something to look at, to consider, not necessarily recommend, but something that to at least consider. And particularly too, in other scenarios where there's business owners, they have their private corporations and explaining how on their passing, that asset, that for example, that private corporation worth a million dollars is not necessarily, not necessarily worth a million dollars because there's you know, double tax, potentially triple tax, and that life insurance can just provide you with greater flexibility in this type of estate transfer concept, you know, through the benefits of the CDA, the capital dividend account, uh, which may or may not be used depending on what's known as the postmortem tax planning, but um, it's just something to provide you with the liquidity and something to consider, I would say. But for, typically, you're looking at business owners, high net worth individuals, where there's wealth that um, we're trying to grow on the most tax-efficient basis. So, Henry, let's say you found an ideal client, and this is something you're looking to recommend or propose as an option. How Correct. do you evaluate life insurance options across the carriers to find one that you would recommend? What are some of the key things you would look for in that life insurance plan? Yes, no, excellent question. So um, 
multiple considerations there, I would say. We, are, we would be looking at different carriers. We would be looking at the client's particular needs. Um, are we looking at maximizing cash values? Are we looking at maximizing death benefits? Looking at IRRs? Because obviously, uh, different carriers have their own niche. We'd want to consider what's the most suitable product. Are we looking at universal life? Are we looking at participating whole life insurance? Um, what type of cost structure? And that's where LDA, I think, is also excellent in, able in, in modeling comparisons side by side. So as part of a best practice and part of my due diligence, when I'm looking at a particular client file, we'll model multiple carriers side by side. I'm able to drag and drop the Excel output from the different carrier software into LDA very quick and easy. And then I can see like, you know, at different points in time, how do the cash values compare? How do the death benefits compare? Where is there crossover points? Sometimes it's a no brainer. Like this is X uh, carriers the best to go with, but in other times, in other cases, um, it might be a closer comparison. And it's, it's, LDA makes it very easy to compare different carriers, different cost structures, uh, cost of insurance, DOI structures. So um, it's very helpful to use that as part of that uh, refining what's a suitable product uh, analysis. That's great to hear. And I'm glad you've had such a good experience using LDA to help you find those options. And when I work with advisors myself, before they start using LDA, that tends to be a typical problem. They've identified this opportunity for a client, but it can take a long time without a program like life design analysis to evaluate those options and see those strong points that some carriers may offer compared to others or just provided in one recommendation to a client if they're looking to evaluate their options. Because some people are analytical and they don't just want to see what you recommend, but they want to see a few different options. So if anybody is struggling with that, I would highly recommend looking at life design analysis and our free 30-day trial and testing our program out because it's a really great way to present this information. Yep. Agreed. John, you work with a lot of advisors, obviously, as one of the members of our team, you've, you've been in sales here for a long, for a long time, almost six years now. And mm -hmm. uh, so when you're talking with advisors, how often do you see people trying to make that jump from that beginning market of term to the mid and higher level markets and, and what pushes them into that phase? And then to follow that is what kind of questions they start asking when it comes to the corporate and personal state transfers and these bigger concepts. Yeah, that's a great question. I feel everybody, when they start in the industry, a lot of people, they start with who they know, referral-based, family, term market. And as they get more experience with the industry, they accrue more knowledge of different products and options. They start to expand their offering to who they're going to be recommending insurance to. What I find is a great way uh, to do that is through social selling, or at least showing the abilities of life insurance through education via shared cases and posting that online because there is a lack of awareness that's out there. So that can be helpful itself. Um, I also see them working with specialists in their specific distributor. Uh, maybe they, they run across a client and they work with somebody that has that knowledge to build off it and then go about their own path afterwards too. But really it's just being open to working on these cases and having the tools to be capable of doing so because that's a big differentiator. Yeah, we've we've recently been like promoting that that aspect of building something and finding a targeted group of people, especially with this high network client. Um, you want to find those people like doctors, lawyers, et cetera, that have that, you know, those characteristics, those flags that we talked about earlier. And, and we did a, a trial case where basically we created a corporate estate transfer case 
and we created the shared link and we put it out on LinkedIn and we got hundreds of people all around the world looking at this case in an instant. And it was such a reach that we were even not, we were blown away. We're like, this is incredible that this is something that people can be used. And we've seen that in other mm-hmm. uses too, where people even putting a, a link to their lead gen in their signature of their email, just to get that extra little bit of visibility, which is it's a cool new way to use the insurance market past just the mm-hmm. referrals. Mm-hmm. So bring it back to the state transfer. Can you walk me through the probate process and how that relates to personal state transfers? Yeah, certainly, Matt. So I, I can speak from a reference of being in, in Ontario. I'll, I'll just, as a legal disclaimer, I'm not a lawyer. I'm a current accountant. I've presented to CTAs um, and others, but uh, this is not a formal tax or legal advice, of course. But um, my understanding is there's in Ontario, we call it the Ontario State Administration Tax, also known as probate, colloquially speaking. So in Ontario, most assets would when an individual passes, they're subject to probate. So to actually administer the will, you pay probate fee. In Ontario, it's about $50,000. It's 1.5% of the gross value of the estate. Now, where someone has life insurance, one of the benefits, as many may be aware, is that you can designate a beneficiary outside of the estate. So if the estate is not uh, named as a beneficiary, a spouse or children are named as the beneficiaries, the funds from the life insurance policy can be paid directly to that named beneficiary and bypass the estate. Thus, can serve as a very effective probate planning tool to basically eliminate what would otherwise apply in that personal estate transfer scenario of status quo. You're gonna, that million dollar asset is gonna be subject to approximately $15,000 of probate fees. Uh, and it, you know, it's scalable. So um, yeah. this is one great way that, one of the benefits we know of using life insurance and beneficiary designations and that being said, I've done a whole other presentation around beneficiary designations and case law. So as another comment for the advisors listening to this, it's always a great best practice to revisit those beneficiary designations to make sure that they continue to be aligned with the client's interests and specific estate intentions because there's been recent case law where um, there's been inconsistencies and potential litigation, et cetera. So, but in short, using a beneficiary designation can serve as a very effective way to bypass probate fees. And then to go off that further, the beneficiary, how, how would you want to set this up if you were looking at a trust? If you wanted to set up a trust for the beneficiary based mm-hmm. on this uh, policy and the estate transfer, how, how would you go about that? Um, and what kind of policies would you be looking to implement to facilitate that estate, that transfer best? Yeah, so uh, the short answer is it depends. It depends on the client's specific facts and circumstances and their objectives. Uh, you know, what their, who their beneficiaries are, what's the purpose of um, this asset. So if they want to leave it outright to name beneficiary, very clean and simple. If, for example, they uh, want to have some degree of control, then they can set up, and we've worked with families establishing these, what are known as insurance trusts. So in certain cases, you'll see just simply, it could be on the insurance carrier's form to say in trust for. Um, for example, if there's minors, I'm actually speaking with a client tomorrow where the um, policy has, and I'm using LDA to model a conversion scenario, but in that case, the policy was done and the statement advised, the, the client shared with me shows minor children as the beneficiaries. So that's an example where I'll highlight to the client, this could serve, this could be a significant gap. And I've seen this where then if the proceeds are paid to our, our name is minors, you have to involve the public guardian and trustee in Ontario. 
And that's, you don't want to involve the courts, it's time consuming, unnecessary costs are incurred, et cetera, legal fees. So that's what a classic example where you may want to name, to have an insurance trust or at a minimum uh, proceeds paid to someone in trust. And in more uh, complex scenarios, there may be actually a formal insurance trust deed, uh, trust indenture prepared, which will you need to provide to the insurance company so they know who to pay the uh, um, insurance proceeds to. But that can also name the trustee or trustees, who the alternate trustees will be, how those funds are being distributed, it's going to be stage gifting, et cetera, can give you greater, greater discretion around that, so in control. So it depends on the circumstances in short. Now, Henry, we've talked about how this strategy works for a personally owned life insurance policy, as well as a corporately owned insurance policy. What are some of the differences between those two that we need to factor in from a taxation perspective? So um, that's another great question, Jonathan. I say, like, obviously, we're, we want to be mindful of what tax rates are applying, what the, the circumstances are in terms of if it's a corporation, are they subject to passive income? Is this looking at modeling, like what these funds would otherwise be subject to? Is it simply um, fully taxable interest income? Um, which assets are we looking at to potentially reposition? So if it's in a personal scenario, are we looking at non-registered money that this may be suitable for, for example, um, versus in a corporate scenario? Uh, the mechanics, like in general, conceptually, the concept is the same. You're looking at funds that are generally in excess of the family's uh, or the life insurance needs, and we're trying to transfer this wealth in the most tax-efficient manner. So conceptually, that, that idea of a personal estate bond, what we call a corporate estate bond, is the concept, but um, when we're drilling down to the details, this is where in a corporate setting, then you're taking advantage of the capital dividend account. Um, you're taking assets that would have been subject to corporate passive uh, refundable tax in general, putting this into a tax exempt vehicle. It may be relevant too for clients where there's um, a small business deduction, the AAII, adjusted aggregate investment income grind. This is another point, like if it's a I'm talking to this business owner tomorrow or a, a legal professional. He was interested in understanding these changes with a small business deduction grind, we call it, where if you earn too much passive income, in short, you're going to be subject to a grind on your low tax preferred small business rate. So that's something that by using tax exempt life insurance, you're going to be reducing that potential exposure, the amount of passive income your corporation is spitting off. So once again, it depends on the client specific situation, but um, this is where looking at the structure, we can determine where the ownership of the insurance, whether it's personally owned or corporately owned, is maybe most uh, suitable for the particular client. So we're getting to the end of our interview now, Henry. So I only have a few more questions. So the big one of the day uh, is what would you talk to an advisor starting into this? Looking back at your career and all the things you've learned, if I'm new, if I'm a new advisor, just starting to think about getting into the higher net worth clients, getting into this bigger estate, what would, what advice would you give me or or someone else who's looking to start into this? That's a great question. I don't know if I have a good answer for that because this is something I ask myself on a daily basis. So um, I think it's uh, the key thing is education. You want to have a strong, solid education, appreciation of where this type of planning may be appropriate, how it can be utilized. Um, because it's not necessarily appropriate for all uh, clients. This is it is um, something that may be very much useful in certain cases, but not in other cases. So I wouldn't just have a broad brush to say this is something I would recommend in all client meetings. But having those 
like as John as John mentioned earlier, like talking with the different um, specialists would be a great starting point to get up to speed. The different carriers have a lot of excellent content, a lot of good concepts. Um, running some numbers too in LDA could be useful just to get more comfortable around the software, how this may be presented, um, how you want to customize it. Because part of it too, I think, as a general comment, is it can be used and presented in so many different ways. You don't want to be in a scenario where it's analysis by paralysis. Um, so you don't want to get very clear, like, what is the benefit? How are we utilizing this? Do you have a very crisp and clean message for clients? Um, to make it understandable. Like, this is something there. If you do nothing, here's how your wealth is it projected to grow um, versus the alternative. If we consider doing this or some degree of X proposal, this is how that may look and how that aligns with your state objectives in terms of growing wealth on a tax-efficient basis, transferring wealth to your children, reducing the tax that would otherwise be owing during your lifetime and at death. So it's, I would say the key thing would be education, then getting comfortable with software like LDA uh, so you're able to customize and present that to get the best communication to the end client. So it's understand and that, understandable in that regard. Good advice. It's uh, it's never bad to learn. Correct. <laughs> the more you learn, the better you're going to be, especially when it comes to, you know, making sure that you're giving the best needs to your clients and you're doing the due diligence and the compliance backing to make sure that you can prove that you've done everything in your power to make sure you even more so that's where as i was saying earlier from a due diligence standpoint where lda is very useful and practical to show for your own files like i looked at different carriers when i went through the analysis this is why i've documented and to document why you choose x carrier because it aligns with the client's goals uh from like a reasons why letter for example um can be very effective in that regard so it's, it's very useful there Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. This has been a great uh, conversation, Henry uh, and John. And thank you for coming on as a guest. Uh, it was wonderful having you. Thank you for having me, Matt and John. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thanks, Henry. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Policy Pod by LDA. We hope that you're able to take away some new understanding about the inner workings and details of corporate and personal estate transfers. Thank you for listening, and I want to leave you with a few things. If you have never used life design analysis before, sign up and try it free at www.lifedesignanalysis.com forward slash sign up. That's www.lifedesignanalysis.com forward slash sign dash up or contact us to see a demo of LDA in action. We would love to show you the difference that it can make for your practice. Also follow us on YouTube at Life Design Analysis, and you can connect with us as well on LinkedIn. Thank you very much. And I look forward to talking to you again real soon.